Welcome to the Cross Sands Christian Centre podcast. Based in the small Welsh village of Cross Sands in Carmarthenshire, we've always been passionate about sharing God's love with our local community. And now, thanks to the podcast, we can share that love even more widely. Wherever you're listening to this podcast in the world, we pray it will be a blessing to you. Sending much love from us and God to you. Thank you for listening. Right, the readings I've got this morning, there's two brief ones to start with and one part way through. The first one this morning is in two parts and comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 6, and then uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. Sorry, could you repeat the first one? Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 6. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold when away, I beg that when I come to you, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sells itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. And then going to chapter 12, verses 7 to 10. To keep me from, from becoming conceited because of the surprisingly, sorry, because of the surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast more, all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, and in persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Can we just pause to pray? Lord Jesus, we just pray that we just ask this morning that the interpretations, the thoughts will be your thoughts and not mine. I just ask that you will help us to apply this, to strengthen us, that we may go forward into the week ahead, feeling we're ready to face it, whatever comes our way. Amen. Now, my subject for this morning is be strong, and with the possible and emphasis at the same time, and possess peace. Before that, I'd like to thank you all for your prayers over the last few weeks. I haven't realised how slow and ill I had become, because it had crept up on me gradually. When the hospital said they wanted me in as a matter of urgency, I thought they found something specific. But apparently my GP had linked several things together, Swollen leg, the ability to shift the fluid in the airways, 
struggling to walk up in and struggling to talk freely, sleepiness, and apparently the readings they got the last time I was taken into a &E. And when the consultant put those together with the GP, I think that this one was more urgent than we all thought. Anyway, I'm very grateful it all did because I wasn't due to go until the end of the year. And apparently, uh, according to a very simple calculation, I made them probably nicking on the screen. My heart was trying to run about a third less oxygen than it needed. And um, according to the consultants, I was months, if not weeks, away from a possible heart attack. So grateful to everyone. Uh, it has made a difference. And I feel better for it. But thank you for your prayers. However, I must admit, for all the good that they do, I don't like hospitals. <laughs> for a start, they're full of sick people. <laughs> and I can't sleep in hospital. Voices and nurses seem to speak louder at night than during the day. Alarms, beeping, fans, although uh, apparently the nurses at Plainworthy um, are really cross with me. Because until I pointed out the low noise of the extractor van, they hadn't noticed it, and now they can't get away from it. <laughs> and anyway, the one night I spent in hospital this time, there was a fellow in two beds away who was sleeping like a Herbert milling machine. Now, for those of you who don't know what a Herbert milling machine does, it takes up a fraction of steel at any one time, and it goes... <laughs> brruh, brruh, brruh. It does that for hours on end. Well, this fellow did it for 20 minutes, then he woke up with a cry and a snort. Five minutes of quiet, and then it started again. So I sat up and wrote out a sermon. I actually got equipped. <laughs> Having done that, before I came out last Sunday morning, I felt compelled to open up um, a very favoured devotional book that I've got, Break and Play by Fred Mitchell and felt compelled to talk on the subject that I've got this morning. I need to find that when Annie spoke last week, she was actually leading in to what I'd been given at that point. And just to show how things work, when I was too ill to speak last Easter, Ellie actually spoke on the very thing that I was going to speak on. So it just shows how, how the spirit does work. Anyway, I'm sorry, I've jumped ahead of myself there. That's what comes as my little memory as well as notes. Now, in the reading just before I came out last week, Mr. Fred Mitchell took us his verse, Ephesians 6.10, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And his opening sentence, he explains that we are to be strong, not feel strong. Now, back in the late 60s, 1960s, I can remember a church counter encouraging a person facing a difficult situation to be strong. I was sitting in on the conversation as part of a group. But I can't, she said. I, I, I don't feel strong. Brilliant, he said. And quoted 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to her. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Fred Mitchell goes on to explain, as did the counsellor, that the danger 
is the, the danger and ability to cope comes, the inability to cope, sorry, comes when we feel strong. Then we're liable to self-confidence and there is the real weakness. When we feel weak and unable to cope using our own resources, then we lay hold on God and that is the real strength for us because we are then tapping into the resources and the strength of God himself. We're turning to him, not trying to think for him, which is what we do when we do it in our own strength. And at such time, faith then triumphs over feelings. And then we can go on to do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Now, God in his wisdom has decided that the treasures of the good news of salvation shall be put around in this earth via weak human vessels, ourselves. And we are told to reduce in our human frailty for strength, and out of that strength comes our joy via the Spirit. For it's his strength and his joy that we're drawing upon, not ourselves. And that strength means that we are then sufficient to withstand any strain that may be imposed upon us, permitted by an understanding God. The reason for that is that our spiritual nature can then be molded and developed, which was ironical because the one I didn't choose this morning, mold me, fits in very well with that, thank you very much. Molded and developed, so so that others can see how Christ helps us to cope in trying circumstances. Now, if Paul struggled, who are we to be exempt? Reading again from 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 7, Paul says here, to keep you from becoming conceited, because of his surpassing great revelations, because a, especially if you go preaching, there is a temptation to get big-headed, but this seems to have brought Paul down to earth. There was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded the Lord to take it away from me, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Paul refers to this thorn. We are not told what this thorn was, and I believe deliberately so, because the Lord wants us to be able to apply it to differing circumstances. It could be physical, it, like failing knees. Tell me about it. It could have been mental, where he was feeling the strain of looking after the early church and felt at times he just couldn't cope with the pressure that was on him. And having seen what pressures of looking after congregations can do to an individual, such as my father, I could understand that. It could also have been a particular temptation that kept bugging him, which, you know, you think of the Apostle Paul, superhuman? No, he was ordinary mortal. Romans 7, verses 14 to 8, 6. Which my eyes will keep up with the heart. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. 
I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, and what I hate to do, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, and agree that the Lord is good, as it is, no longer I myself will do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, but it is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good that I want to do. The evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I... It's, it's hard to read this one. <laughs> now, if I do not... Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who does it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. In my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within all my members. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, to our Lord Jesus Christ, giving praise even in the face of temptation. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Going on here about the constant tension between what we want to do spiritually and what the devil is tempting us to do. And then he goes on. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that I was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of a sinful man as a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The spirit of sinful man is death, but the mind is controlled, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. In some ways, that should give us some consolation. Because if Paul, the great apostle Paul, was struggling with his nature and trying and finding he's deflected from what God wants him to do and really struggling, it's no surprise, therefore, that we face the same sort of situations. Now, my understanding of this particular implication, and I say it is only an implication because we're not told, it was some sort of temptation that was distracting him from the work that he had set out to do. But this is why I chose one of the songs that we had this morning. He didn't allow himself to get caught up. He didn't allow the devil to get him to concentrate on the wrong that he has done. Because so often, when you're going through life, managing fairly well, and then we drop an absolute clanger. We do something really wrong. And within minutes, the devil is turning around and pointing out, look, you've got that wrong. And then for the weeks that follow, over and over and over again, you're no good as a Christian. Look at that mess you've made. And that verse that 
said, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, and that's what he wants you to concentrate on, because if the devil has got you concentrating on the guilt that is within, you cannot fulfill your role as a Christian fully. Because you're not concentrating on God, you're concentrating on what you got wrong. He goes on, up when I look and see him there, who made an end to all my sin. And I love that song. Don't concentrate on the things you got wrong years ago. Look at what God has done. Not look at the good things you're doing. Look at the good thing that God has done for you. Because the sinless saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God, the just is satisfied. So look on him and pardon me. And also, the, the song referenced the power of your love. The weakness I see in me will be stripped away by the power of your love. Hold me close, your love surrounds me. Lead to see more of Christ, the renewing of the mind. In other words, the purging of all that you've got wrong. Renew my mind, Lord. Strip these things away. Give me more of yourself. Let me concentrate on you, not on what has gone wrong in previous weeks, months, or years. The result? The soaring of the spirit. Joy. Peace. All comes with the mind being concentrated on Christ. Now, my other choice, I one that caused um, a bit of difficulty, some of those who are not old enough to remember it, was one of my most favourite early days. And it's only just dawned on me in the last 24 hours, the time it was one of her favourites, I can face the, fu the future, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. I know it was about the time she lost my sister Ruth. Now, I remember mum sitting in the front room playing this one for dad, ready for service. And it, was new, it was new to them, apparently. Notice the last verse. Final war with pain. Death goes on to become victory. What should have been the devil's triumph, i.e. our physical death, because of his death, Jesus has turned that around completely. And our death becomes triumph. Because... The devil, death was it. That was it. We've wiped you out. I've won. The Lord turns around and says, no, you haven't. Because the moment they die, they rise to new life. Now, Paul's argument in close, is echoed in these songs is that we are as frail human beings living in uncertain times, yet we can triumph in Christ and find peace amongst the turmoil. He instructs Sorry, he instructs us, he urges us to be strong, not in our own strength, but in the strength which God supplies. In recognising our weakness, we are to lean on him. And when you're feeling weak, the weaker you feel, please realise the stronger you become, because the weaker you feel, the more you draw on him, and that power is unlimited whereas our own strength is extremely finite. In Ephesians 6.10, Paul explains how we have to become strong, drawing a parallel with a suit of armour. And he goes through it, and I won't go into detail, but he goes through it quite quickly. The belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit. And then we come on to the feet. Now, I'm going to reorder these and actually put them in a logical order. The helmet of salvation, 
the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith. I haven't got time to go into those this morning. People want me to get away before midnight. But notice the feet, the gospel of peace. For the gospel of the good news leads to peace. How do we achieve this? Continuous prayer with a mind centered on Christ. Going back to Romans 8 6, the bottom, the last uh, part of um, uh, verse 6, says he, with his eyes, eyes to concentrate on it. The mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Thus, being strong in Christ, we can relax because the victory has been won, peace can be enjoyed. The end, we may face table at the moment, but the end result is guaranteed, the end result is known. Now, as Christians, if we can experience and demonstrate that we've had the peace in a world of personal turmoil, we can stand <coughs> out. At this point, I'm reminded of that paraphrase. If you can keep your head when all around are losing theirs, you've obviously missed the point. <laughs> if you are expressing, sorry, if you are experiencing personal difficulties, whether physical, mental, financial, spiritual, and demonstrate peace, though you will then stand out, and those around you will eventually ask, how can you be peaceful in that situation? How can you exhibit calm with what you're going through? All right, when I ask for it, that's the time you can explain. How many times have you heard it said, or even said it yourself, I wish I knew what lay ahead? Especially in your younger days, you think, oh, I wish I knew what was going to happen. But the Lord very gently chides and explains that we worry enough about what might happen in the small things of life without having to face up to the thought of bigger things. The number of times we are crossing bridges of worry that never actually exist. And yet he said, if you knew what was coming, you'd probably go to pieces. Therefore, I won't let you know what's coming. I just want you to put your trust in me. In John 14, 27, Jesus says, my peace I give unto you. Now, Fred Mitchell's ex uh, exposition of this piece is definitely worth reading. Please bear with me. It's only a brief section right here. Our Lord Jesus Christ has given us his own deep peace. This is the peace which kept him so quiet and calm when he faced difficult situations with difficult men. It is the peace which enabled him to be silent when misrepresented and to speak calmly whenever he did speak. He gives this peace to us gladly and generously and continuously, not as the world gives. But gifts must not only be given, they must also be received. Martha was apparently too busy to receive the gift, and that's what I fall into, and become fussy about details, while Mary took time to learn and take the Master's peace. He would have us follow Mary in this respect. We are intended to enjoy the peace, his peace, now. In this world, we shall not be exempt from the trials and troubles of this world. Indeed, because we are Christians and walking contrary to current views and fashions, we may be more sure to have them. 
but with the tribulation we shall have the, the along with the tribulation we shall have the peace and this the world cannot hinder because it is the lord himself who gives it this peace is not only his and his to give and his to own but it's to be joined, enjoyed only in himself that is to say this blessed gift is not to be possessed apart from himself only we who abide in him shall realize the peace which passes all understanding, which guards both heart and mind. In this disturbed and fretful age, it is above all things necessary to know that we have Christ's own peace. Therefore, let us take the gift and bless the giver. Now, before we go any further on, we need to establish the full meaning of the word peace as it relates to the Bible. Apparently, it is not just the absence of conflict or a state of rest, but a complete wholeness in the presence of God. Remember, this is the God who created the earth and planetary systems, and as I understand it, is still putting stars into place this very day. Now, if he has the ability to create solid items out of nothing, and is the way of the death of a small bird, We've had the belly one or two this week, including a lovely little ring. Mm. Such a God. Sorry, I've lost my space there. He cannot engender with us. It is easily possible for him to engender within us a spirit of peacefulness. I'm reminded of a BB camp high up on the hilltop in Devon many, many years ago. It was blowing a full six on a very exposed site. The marquee was groaning and swaying and twisting. The rain was pouring in in various places. The tilly lamps, only a certain generation remember what tilly lamps are, powerful pressure, hissing and flickering in the wind. And yet around that communion table, there were just a few of us, those who are Christians, Around that communion table, there was a sense of absolute total peace and stillness, despite what was going on. Now, the Hebrew, I can't get too technical because my understanding of Hebrew and Greek is nowhere near Mike's or Rogers. But the Hebrew word for peace is salam, which not only means peace, but also to be whole and complete. The Greek, reine, may not pronounce that correctly, please don't hold me to it, meaning peace quietness and rest. But the base word is irene, meaning unity, to bring multiple parts together, again, joining or trying things, to bring things together as a whole into a peaceful state. Which rather implies that Christ wants to bring us to him in a complete, whole, relaxed state. In other words, not only are we to bring our Sorry, I'm having trouble with my own writing because <laughs> I just, my brain was going so fast, my hand couldn't keep up. In other words, not only am I to bring ourselves into God's presence and claim his peace as an individual, but when we come together as a church, we are to claim his peace and its attendant joy as a group. This is why it's so important as a church if, and as Christians, if we are falling out with anyone within the church, we should seek to settle the differences, even if it's just to apologise and agree to differ before coming back to the communion table 
before coming back. Otherwise, the piece as a whole is disruptive. I will, I will finish before midnight, I promise. In several other places, Paul urges us to live in peace with one another. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another. Live in peace so that the God of love and peace may be with you. Hebrews 12, 14. Strive for peace with everyone and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Romans 12, 18. If, if possible, as far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Peter 3, 11, latter part of the verse, let him seek peace and pursue it. It's also worth noting we are told in Galatians 5.22 that peace is one of the fruits of the Spirit, along with love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, which links again to the whole armour of God, which I touched upon earlier. Now, just as we are told to claim our strength from God, we are told to claim our peace as well. I referred earlier to our creator God, knowing how everything is made to function, how everything is put together, who has the power and ability to grant us peace. But in some ways, it is conditional. In Philippians 4, 6 and 7, we are told not to be anxious about anything, but put into prayer with supplication, pleading, and thanksgiving, not forgetting to say thank you for what we've had, let our requests be known no down to God. Now, I'm the firm belief that God is fully aware of our needs long before we put them into words. But he requires us to demonstrate as an act of faith, to talk them through with him, to present our worries to him, to give them over to him, and then to leave them there, not to bring them away from his presence. If we do, if we bring them away, what's the point of going there in the first place? He wants us to take our worries, our sinful thoughts, our grateful thoughts, anything, give it to him. The sinful thoughts are put upon the cross, the gratitude and the praise is appreciated by God. And then we get the peace, which is what we bring away. Don't bring your worries away, bring the peace away. Which will still both heart and mind and protect the body from the physical signs that stress sometimes pushes out. Isaiah, back in the Old Testament, had the right idea. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. In other words, if our mind is linking up with the Almighty God, drawing on him for, to get strength, as a result of that strength, we also get peace, and a byproduct of peace is joy. Both Paul and Isaiah stressed that the whole mind is stayed and anchored in Christ. Don't give him 90% of your worries and bring 10% away. Because the devil has a wonderful ability to grow that 10% to occupy the whole of your mind again. Every bit of our worry is to be given to Christ. Because you see, if the devil can grow that 10% and get you worrying about that as it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, your concentration on the Lord's gone. The result of giving all our good and bad thoughts to God 
and all our worries is A, the absence of fear. John 16, I have said these things that you may have peace, despite the fact that in this world you'll have tribulation. And the second result is joy, Proverbs 12, 22. Those who plan peace receive joy. And if we are working in conjunction with the Spirit of God, joy is one of the fruits along with peace of the mind. As I see it in Scripture, God has promised us both strength and peace. But despite being, but despite being gifts, both require actions on our part. As far as our strength goes, we have to relinquish all ideas of doing it in our own strength, using our own resources. We have to admit our inability to take correct decisions. We have to seek his wisdom and claim his strength so that we they can be strong, not just feel strong. And as far as peace goes, we have to hand all our anger, worries and stress over to him. And then, in exchange, receive the gift of peace, the rest of the mind, the freedom from anxiety. We are to stop worrying about what the world thinks of us, only to see ourselves as God sees us. A frail, human, failing being made good in the Lord Jesus Christ. The result of resting peacefully in his strength is a relaxation that allows joy to be present. When others see us in difficulty, you're able to face our difficulties and difficult circumstances and remain at peace and quietly joyful, they will wonder why. In the meanwhile, I want to remember the redeeming love that made such a sacrifice that made all this possible and to give thanks. Lord, our minds are finite. We try and understand how part of yourself came to this earth with the aim of being sacrificed so that a just and righteous God would accept us, could look at us, through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we cannot understand it. We cannot take it in what it meant to you, the Holy One, to take away our sin. But we thank you. We take it on trust. Lord, we just bring our worries and our concerns and our stresses to you and lay them at your feet. And we ask for your peace. We also, Lord, put before you frail and failing bodies, minds that want to serve you, but sinful hearts that distract us and get us to go the wrong way at times. We seek your forgiveness and ask that you will make us strong in your strength. Now, Lord, as we come to your table, we just ask that you would take 
from our minds at the moment any thoughts that would distract us. Enable us to concentrate upon yourself and to genuinely give thanks for the sacrifice that made our salvation possible. And the night he was betrayed, the Lord said, This is my body, broken for you. <laughs> same time he said this is my blood shed for you for forgiveness of your sins Thank you, Father, for your sacrifice and your son. Thank you, Lord, for going, Lord Jesus, for going through that process to make our salvation possible. Help us to appreciate it. And now, Lord, we seek your peace and we ask for your strength in the week ahead. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the podcast. We do pray it's been a blessing to you. If you have any questions or you need to reach out to anyone for support, please know that you can find us now on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Cross Hands Christian Centre.